right. I am now joined by Jacobins Megan Day to uh, to help us break down and understand what uh, what we know so far about what's going on. So welcome, Megan. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. I mean, you know, I, I think that I won't be able to provide, um, you know, any anything more than what you've got if you're glued to Twitter and various news sources. Um, I know as much as you do, but also the, the political implications of it are something that I think that we should talk about together. I want to hear what you have to say as well. Yeah, so we do know just a little bit more, I think, like literally 15 minutes ago or something, right. CNN called Michigan. Right. Um, yeah, CNN just called Michigan and uh, Wisconsin was called earlier. And right now it's sort of hinging on Nevada and Arizona. I mean, look, I think this is, am I allowed to say it? I feel like I'm allowed to say, I feel like this is in the bag for Joe Biden, right? Like unless yeah. barring something weird in Nevada or Arizona, um, he doesn't need Pennsylvania, which he also might might very well get. Um but but he doesn't apparently need it if if he gets uh, Arizona and Nevada and apparently the remaining ballots in Nevada are coming from their mail-ins from Clark County so that's where Las Vegas is so that's going to go to Biden and Arizona's got yeah. a pretty sizable lead so look I mean it's all happening in real time I'm processing it at the same speed as everybody else but I about an hour ago allowed myself to um, finally let my guard down and say that I think that this is probably in the bag for Joe Biden, barring obviously successful um, interventions from the Trump administration with the help of various attack dogs. Um, but that, let's talk about that. I mean, do you do you think, Ben, that even if he tried, I mean, he's making noises right now. Trump is making noises about, you know, like taking the legal path to block counting remaining ballots and so on. Um, but what, do you think he has a I shot, don't really? I've seen how that would work uh, because... Like that, I don't know. Like the times that they've been successful doing things like that, like you know, like Bush v. Gore and whatever. Like it was either, um, like the count had already happened and it was stopping a recount, or you know, there have been times when they, like the courts have successfully intervened to help Republicans by um, by stopping them from like letting people vote who haven't voted yet. I mean, I guess maybe like like I I totally don't feel confident ruling it out, but it does seem like like when people have already voted and and so really all that's left to contest is whether you can count the ballots that have already been sent in that were sent in on time that arrived before election day. Like it's pretty hard to see how that would work. So I mean, I I guess we'll see. Uh, also, Arizona. Weirdly, Fox called it last night. Uh, right. <laughs> and, that was uh, bizarre. What do we think is yeah. going on there? I mean, Fox called it early. Fox called it early for for Biden. Um, yeah. They, I mean, is yeah. is Fox trying to um, trying to burnish their? Does Fox see the writing on the wall with Trump and is trying to burnish their reputation as a credible news source yeah, or jumping ship? That kind of seems like it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like I don't, I, I don't. Literally, I don't know what else would be going on there. Like, why, why they would right. be. Uh, jumping the gun ahead of everybody else. Um, so assuming that 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 is the case, and and yeah, um, Nevada, uh, which God actually you know uh, makes me sad because the last time I was actually happy about the news was uh, was when uh, was when Bernie won Nevada. 
but uh, yeah, it's rough. When I was I was looking into uh, it a little bit, and um, and uh, I, I definitely I like it caused me to go back onto my phone and scroll up to when I was in Las Vegas for the the Las Vegas uh, caucuses, and um, you know we've we've come a long way since then, and it's not necessarily a good path that we've gone down. But um, hey, if you know, like we, if Biden wins which mm -hmm. kind of looks kind of looks like that's that's happening no matter okay. what kind of kind of seems like that train is, is leaving the station and there's not much that Trump can do about it then you know I'm one of these uh, people who uh, can say with confidence that I think that the left is going to be on better footing under a, under a Biden administration which well, does not I mean. equate to a vote of confidence in the Biden administration and I realize that that's that's like a c confusing concept for yeah, people but because there, there are two very different issues, right? One is, um, is you know, is Biden um, an enemy, right? Is Biden going to do, you know, is 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 Biden like, or the or the other way to put that is like, is Biden like, is anything that's on Biden's campaign website to be taken seriously? And I basically think no. Right. Uh, right. And then the the other question is, okay, is it more advantageous to us to uh, to fight with that enemy as, as opposed to Trump? And I kind of think, yeah. Yeah, but, absolutely. Well, I've been thinking yeah. about this a little bit lately, and I feel like we could break it down into two related um, buckets. So whereas there's the um, material advantage for the left. And in that sense, I think you can make a strong case that with um, you know, Biden's appointees to various, you know, aspects of it, his administration are going to be like less, um, less ins insanely zealous about undermining mm -hmm. the actual mission of, of various departments. Um, not, not yeah. because, you know, not because we think that like Biden himself is some sort of like crusading progressive reformer, but right. because Democrats actually have a particular image that they need to do the bare minimum to maintain and sustain for electoral purposes. And so he's going to appoint somebody to the, he's going to appoint people to the EPA who like are going to try to at least pretend to carry out the mission of the EPA and the same for the N NLRB. Um, and so that gives us a yeah. just better terrain to fight on materially. That doesn't mean that we think that those, you know, that the Biden, right. I mean, the Biden administration is going to be like, you know, doing amazing things, just that we won't be um, blocked or obstructed in quite the same manner. I mean, talking to Jane McAleaf a few days ago about the experience of trying to secure fair union elections under a Trump um, uh, labor relations board is you know pretty harrowing and if we can if we can just at the very least you know reverse that then that puts us on similar footing to where we were before which is not great but it's better than where we are now and the second terrain is not material it's discursive um, after four years of a uh, Trump administration, I have to say, like the the highlights for the left have been when we've been in contention with centrist Democrats throughout that time. So mm -hmm. when Bernie was running against Clinton, obviously that was before before Trump. But then when, like for example, like AOC versus Crowley and all of these kinds of similar races that had a similar dynamic, and then of course Bernie up against the whole lot of them in the last primary. I mean, these have been really generative for us, and it has totally. hurt us to feel that, you know, for example, in the last primary that um, we're making really strong appeals that make a lot of sense to people, but we're also getting accused of undermining the effort to depose Trump. And that's like making our, our, our politics, you know, are having a hard time penetrating because of that. So I'd rather just you know, remove that kind of discursive obstacle to our arguments landing. And I think that a Biden administration might set us up better for that.
Yeah, no, that seems that seems totally right. I mean, I think that on the on the NLRB point, um, again, you know, the question is not like is is Biden an enemy? Yes or no? Yes, but it's the but uh, that you could recognize that he is a representative of you know the ruling class uh, and still recognize that. Uh, the Democratic machine and the Republican machine tend to pursue very different strategies for managing the system on behalf of the ruling class. Uh, and uh, the Democrats kind of prefer to have a labor movement that's been weakened and undermined and not very militant, but that exists. Uh, and, and the Republicans tend to prefer, you know, to stamp it out completely uh, where possible. And and the NLRB rulings like really shows that in a really stark way. Uh, Paul Prescott had a really good article about this uh, a while back. And, um, and yeah, I mean, like ranging from uh, just sort of petty, but actually pretty significant stuff for organizing, like um, whether you can use public spaces uh, in an employer's property uh, to, to pass out union literature, like the area outside of a grocery store where the Salvation Army might set up, uh, to, uh, to really like grim stuff, like ruling that it's not protected speech to speak out about your employer's inadequate COVID safety precautions, uh, and, and using COVID to cancel union elections. And a lot of these things are canceling precedents from the Obama era earlier. Uh, and yeah, I think the discursive thing is absolutely also um, a, a big factor. And I think maybe even more than just that, right? Like maybe even more than just like, I, I think that's right, right? That like we have this advantage because there's there's this big distraction that's gone, right? And But I also think there's a way that it impacts even like not just like our ability to, to get our message out, but also where a lot of other people are at. And maybe it's kind of the same thing, but I think, you know, there's this idea that you sometimes get on the left that we're actually better off in some way if there's this like horrible right-wing Republican in office because then people will be really agitated and they'll be in the streets and they'll be mad and, you know, then they'll like go home if there's a centrist Democrat in office. And what always gets me about this is that the recent evidence at least seems to show almost the opposite, that uh, during the Bush years, um, certainly after the decline of the anti-war movement in the early 2000s, um, like most oppositional energy that you got was was like weird stuff, like progressives who'd go to Washington, D.C., not to protest the war, not to advocate Medicare for all, but for like that stupid John Stewart rally to restore sanity right. thing. And then under the Obama years, uh, we had Occupy Wall Street. We had uh, that was the begin also the beginning of Black Lives Matter. Uh, that was also when Bernie Sanders won twenty two states. So it seems like you know whatever. It's just a few data points, but it still kind of suggests to me uh, something we were talking about in the stream last night that maybe there's a general phenomenon where when you have this ostentatiously terrible right wing Republican in office, oppositional energy ends up being focused on that person is an individual in ways that it might get focused on more systemic issues when there's a centrist Democrat. Sure. And the idea that you are, that we on the left, if we make reasonable critiques of the political center, um, you know, the conservative Democrats that we're undermining the effort to displace this like threat that we all recognize is, is, is a threat. I mean, it just, it hamstrings us in so many ways and I'd rather just um, be done with it. So basically you're, I think the, the way to think about it is not which administration is better for the working class. 
arguably, obviously, you know, like a drug, like we're talking yeah, about the true. national liberal, yeah, you know, I mean, there are ways, there are ways in which, you know, a Biden administration will be sort of um, marginally to in some areas, I would say like yeah. pretty significantly better for the working class, but leave that aside because that's not, that's, that's the surface level. We want to go mm. deeper and ask which, which is a better terrain of struggle for the left, which sort of opposition do you think is going to set you up better to be able to mobilize people into an organized left. And I think that um, the last four years has demonstrated that while there's been a lot of popular agitation during Trump, um, it's just been met by this countervailing force of, um, you know, self-righteous and, and, and protective, self-protective liberalism um, that I mm -hmm. think might might fall away. And people will say, oh, well, uh, you know, Obama won and then all these people mobilized and then they all went home. Sure. But the but that, that was a different time. I mean, we didn't have an organized yeah. left then. I, I think yeah. it's important to note that, like, yes, there was a mass mobilization for Obama, but it was very specifically like to get. Barack Obama Obama's elected, right. and it had and it had like a at best at times progressive character, but often not really. Mm. That's really different from now. We actually have a I would say underdeveloped and in some ways, um, you know, just like uh, yeah, let's just say seriously underdeveloped socialist movement in this country. But we have one, and we have the we have the makings of one that could um, you know be bigger. And I, I'd like to see us just try our hand against uh, you know a. a democratic administration and see if we have any more success um so sort of playing off of the success in converting people to our politics that we've had in the democratic party primaries with bernie in the sort of you know fights that you see between like aoc and and crowley and and various other members of the squad and sort of centrist democrats that come for them i mean i think it's been generative so let's try it on a, on a national scale obviously i'd rather have bernie sanders be president i just want to be clear <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. would be the, I mean, the I mean, we both were talking about nevada, nevada. Yeah earlier you and i both actually physically went there to campaign for him so and i also want yeah, to say well back to this question about the sort of surface level the surface level like who which would be better for the working class versus what's the better terrain of struggle i mean i feel the same way about a potential now hypothetical in the rearview mirror bernie sanders presidency which is that the thing that excited me most about that was not the sort of changes that he could literally implement to improve people's lives. Though I think that there, there would have been, you know, like five or 10 of those that would have amounted to something, you know, pretty important and significant. But more than that, it would have been the new political terrain that would be opened up by a Bernie Sanders presidency. Um, and unfortunately, that's not what happened. Um, you know, I've already yeah. sort of like processed my feelings about it. So I don't, I'm not, I don't have tears in my eyes anymore. But you know, when now in the situation that we're in, I'd much rather have a Biden presidency than a Trump one just for the purposes of building the left. Yeah, no, that that's that seems totally right. Um, and, and I think that I mean, actually, so so there are a couple of in our brief time together, right? There are there are a couple of more things that I want to hit, but just on uh, the actual um, on the actual election itself, and yeah. uh, and and what might happen, right? We we both said earlier that that we do think right now it looks like you know like Biden's got it. It's 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 getting harder to see uh, how how that doesn't happen. Uh, it's not impossible, but uh, but if um, I, I guess I guess one one question is uh, even if the Trump successful legal challenges are seem un, feel unlikely right now, um, you know we know that 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 could be wrong. I mean, you know, he, he does have that six to three Supreme Court majority. Uh, so if if they can 
come up with with anything that is um, that that can cobble together some kind of legal argument to pretend to believe for this that it's not out of the question that they could do something. I, I sort of feel like there's like a 5% chance of that, or you know, maybe at this point. Uh, and, and I think there, there's a real question there that if that did happen, uh, is that it, right? Like, do you actually think that there, there would be, um, uh, thank you, Joshua, for the super chat. Do you think that there, uh, there's anything uh, that, that w- not that could be done? Cause of course you can, you can easily lay out, okay, Hey, here are things that, that could happen that would overture, you know, we could have a general strike, whatever, but within the range of things that right. would actually be halfway realistic to imagine happening, do you think that there's anything that could happen, like maybe on a street level, that would actually deter that sort of election theft at this point? No, I think that has to be done in the lead up. Like, I think, I mean, just to be quite honest with you, like, I just, I want to be like, I, I I want, I want to like, for the purposes of actually galvanizing people and getting them to organize, I'd rather, you know, sit here and tell you like, yes, like, don't lose hope, get out there, whatever. But like, yeah. to be honest, I think that actually the more, the, be- the better message and the truer message is that the political struggle is happening right now. I mean, it has to happen in the next mm. couple of days. Um, and it has to be so over overwhelming that it um, makes the the possibility of these legal challenges from Trump look extremely ridiculous and extremely perilous because we know that the Supreme Court also is a political institution, obviously, right. and it's also experiencing a crisis of legitimacy right now. I mean, all summer long, we or rather all the last all fall long, the last couple of months, there's been discussion of court packing, and there's just been like, especially from liberals far more questioning of the sort of sanctity of the original structure of um, institutions like the court and also the electoral college and the filibuster than you've seen like, I mean, ever. I had a great conversation that you can watch on the Jacobin live stream with Seth Ackerman about this. I'm sorry, there's noise in in the background working from home. But um, yeah, like I I think that um, to be quite honest, I'm not sure that even with that majority, that majority doesn't, it's not a Trump majority, it's a conservative majority, but it's not a pro-Trump majority per se. You could see them throwing Trump under the bus in order to preserve the credibility of that institution because they're canny political actors. And I think that that and a variety of other, you know, that and a variety of other outcomes kind of depend on the political scenario that people create right now. Um, so that's why I made the argument, you know, uh, as did Micah Utrecht and a couple of other people have written very similar articles, which is like, if it looks like Trump is going to win, it doesn't, it doesn't at this moment, but it, if it did look like Trump was going to win an electoral college, uh, victory without winning a popular vote victory, I mean, that would be a time for, you know, mass action. Um, mm-hmm. because you have to create political, you have to create political scenarios in order for sort of procedural outcomes to come out in your favor. They're not, they're not sort of like, it's not a Rube Goldberg machine. It doesn't just go through some sort of like, um, completely objective process and spit out a result. It's politics. You have to create, um, you know, the conditions that would be favorable to you and to your side. And by your side, obviously, I don't mean like Democrats, but as I explained earlier, the fav- more favorable outcome for the left is that we no longer have a Trump administration and instead have a assuredly extremely austere and, um, uh, you know, a collaborationist Biden administration yeah. to play play off of as an opposition. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, people should, people should, uh, be prepared if there are more Trump shenanigans to get out on the street. But to be honest, I mean, I don't want to tell people to let down their guard, but like, yeah, yeah. am I yeah. right? Am I wrong? Like I'm, I'm looking at this. No, and no, I'm I, mean, I don't think like, 
Yeah. I don't it seems th- like I don't, it's going to go okay. It seems yeah, like it might go yeah, yeah. more smoothly than I had previously thought it might. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, that 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 does that does seem right to me. Um so so yeah, I think that I mean I I do agree that uh having like like in a way uh it's actually uh the best thing you could ask for in in for the for the left in in a certain sense um at least out of the things that are likely to happen uh is a um is a centrist democratic administration that is completely uninspiring to everyone uh because because uh, that way you don't have um you know you don't have the oh why are you undermining our effort to to get out the bad republican argument but you also don't have uh why are you complaining look at how great you know the centrist Democrats are, um, and and it seems likely that that's what we'll get, um, and and that would make me much more optimistic about you know the future, um, you know next few election cycles, uh, and you know I, I'm not I'm not saying you shouldn't be optimistic about them. I, th- I think there are definitely advances that could happen in that time, but basically if um, you know if Bernie Sanders were about five years younger. Uh, then I, I would think, oh, great, right? You know, this 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 could like, especially if Biden only serves one term, right? This sets him up for uh, for twenty twenty four, and and then we're off to the races again. But it seems like that's not happening, and then um, and that that there isn't much of a bench, uh, and at and then so the question is, if you if you conclude from all of that that this big like um, gamble, right? That we're all doing that. Okay. Instead of having a movement that's really powerful that can, that can create a candidate uh, you, you can do it the other way around, right? You can try to jumpstart it in the other direction that, that, you know, I mean, it was worth trying. It came shockingly close uh, to, to working, um, but it, at least electorally, right. It, it didn't, it didn't happen. Right. So, you know, you co-wrote a book called Beyond Bernie. What's the uh, what's the horizon uh, like at this point, given given all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are really demoralized because they're looking around and seeing that the left doesn't really have much at our fingertips, whereas it felt like we did during, especially the second Bernie primary, really, because the first one was just kind of like a shock. It was like a pleasant shock. And then the second one, I mean, I, I think that a good way to think about it is that the second Bernie primary campaign was actually serving an in an ad hoc fashion the function of an independent left party and it kind of felt briefly like the feelings that we were having of empowerment are the feelings that you would have if you did actually have like a a a, a big powerful left wing institution or constellation of left wing institutions and then when that campaign was over we were hit with the hard reality that in fact we don't have that and we didn't have that we had a substitute for that and it was an amazing substitute and actually it it gave us the opportunity to begin to build that but we have to start from you know not square you know one but square whatever like down there in the low numbers um so that's why people are demoralized but um you know, I've been able to avoid a little bit of de- political demoralization because Micah uh, Utrecht and I did write this book, which sort of was supposed to be an all 
all purpose for multiple scenarios. I mean, we actually wrote the book so that it would be usable in the event that Bernie Sanders won or lost. Um, and it, it did, um, we, it, so we had to boil it down to sort of like basics, right? Like uh, like the sort of skeletal outline of how the left should comport itself in the medium term, term, like in the next five to 10 years, sort of regardless of the scenario. And that was a good exercise for me in feeling like I had a better handle on what we actually do have at our disposal and what we don't. And, and I try to think about it this way. We have to use what we have to go get what we want. We shouldn't be frustrated necessarily that we don't have what we want yet. I mean, that is literally politics. That's like what politics is, is using what you have to get what you want. Um, and it's hard because our side has been ground into a pulp for, you know, there's been incredible anti-communism and just like anti-working class capitalist, um, you know, a neoliberal agenda of austerity and privatization that has just pulverized our side over the last 50 plus years. So we are starting from a pretty dismal point, um, but you can't let that demoralize you too much. That's just the scenario. I mean, on some, on some, on some, in some level, you have to just come to terms with the fact that we're starting from a much lower level than it sort of appeared during the time when we like created a fantasy party for ourselves in the form of a presidential campaign. That that in, in some senses was not, not a mirage, but it was more like, um, it was more like a projection of what could be in the future if mm. we actually like put our nose to the grindstone and work. So now it's, now it's time to work to just organize. And I think, or specifically, we need to be organizing. Um, I like the way that Matt Cart put this on a stream yesterday. He's talking about indoor politics and outdoor politics. I think that we're going to have to do a lot of outdoor politics during the um, during the Biden years, should they come to pass, inshallah. Um, and what that means is that we need to be doing a lot of um, working class organizing, I think specifically in workplaces. And um, we need to be building left institutions like, you know, like uh, socialist organizations, chiefly the Democratic Socialists of, the, of America, which is the biggest one. So therefore it just makes sense to be putting our energy into, into that one. Um, and I also think that um, we need to be, our, our high profile elected officials need to be using their offices as bully pulpits for sort of agitational class politics in order to sort of promote our message. And if we have those three things, those three projects going throughout the Biden administration, I think that that's a pretty decent recipe for taking advantage of what we do have at our disposal and trying to build it up. Um, what we should not be doing is thinking that uh, there are opportunities for us through a Biden administration to realize our hopes and dreams. I just uh, wrote an article that went up like right before I came on. I literally don't even remember what it's called because it just went up right before I came on. But it's it's sort of looking at the possibility of you know what what it's going to look like to have a Biden presidency and a Mc, Mitch McConnell led Senate, which is also looking quite likely. Um, that's going to be a um, let's just say that the Biden administration will be very paralyzed in some very real ways. And it will also use that paralysis as an alibi for not doing the things that it could be doing because Biden doesn't actually really want to pursue ambitious progressive reform. So we need to be prepared for that. We need to know that no amount of behind the scenes ingratiation of ourselves to um, the Biden administration is going to change that dynamic, which is larger than all of us. And so we need to be doing outdoor politics um, instead in, in Matt Carp's excellent formulation. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. It's uh, called a Biden win in a GOP Senate still uh, spell stalemate or worse. Uh, and yeah, which is, I guess, the uh, I guess to amend what I said earlier, um, you know, the a dis like a really uh, disappointing centrist Democratic administration 
uh, would be maybe uh, the the best thing for for um, the prospects of advancing a critique of it and advancing an alternative uh, if they also uh, had uh, had the Senate so they didn't have that excuse. Uh, you know that like the power of that excuse uh, to to persuade a lot of people is is really effective. Like uh, to this day, even tons of people who supported Bernie. Um, do still give Obama a pass uh, for for similar reasons, you know that uh, oh you know he was doing everything that he possibly could have done, you know it's 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 just those damn Republicans, you know getting in the way and and there are various ways that you know that that we both know that we that we could point out like problems with that narrative, but it sounds right to enough people to be really effective. Yeah, let's rank like all of the scenarios. Best case scenario would have been a Bernie Sanders. Right. Best case scenario would have been a Bernie Sanders victory in the general election over Trump and um, two Democratic, um, the House and, and the Senate, thus sort of forcing the question everywhere from the, the center, the dead center all the way left. I mean, that would have been an incredible reckoning and it would have pulled in the rest of the country too into that reckoning and probably caused a major realignment. I mean, it would have been amazing, but let's not dwell on that one too much. The, the second the second best scenario is um, Joe Biden wins and um, the House and the Senate are are, are both uh, Democratic. And so we get to have a conversation about what the Democratic Party is actually pursuing, like when it has the option and ability to pursue its own agenda. What what does that agenda look like? That happened, obviously, in 2008. But there wasn't really an org there wasn't an organized left to sort of like call the question on that. Um, and then the third best scenario is the one that we're, we're maybe in, which is. Joe Biden presidency, you know, obstructionist Mitch McConnell. It's not great because it changes the sort of discursive reality, but it's still, it's going to paralyze the Biden administration in a way that's going to, um, at least we can have a conversation about how how hard the Biden administration is fighting against that paralysis versus how hard it is in fighting. Um, and then, you know, there are a variety of much worse scenarios sort of cascading all the way down. I would add, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders winning the primary and losing the general to Donald Trump is actually one of the worst scenarios. And it's sort of down there. And we managed to avoid avoid that. And I have no idea if that would have happened or not. Um, we can just say Bernie yeah. would have won because no one can stop us from saying that. But I don't know if that's that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, how, how I feel about that is, um, you know, I mean, I, I obviously spent a very long time saying saying that, um, you know, from from 2016 to uh, to 2020. Um, and and, you know, and, and very like um, I think that was I think I, you know, I posted that like a three in the morning on, you know, the night of election day in 2016. You gotta. Yeah, yeah it's important. Yeah. It's important to uh, do. But, but, but it, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think like the maybe more precise, careful thing to say is that there, like like in this case too, right? Like there are some, you know, there are some good reasons to think that Bernie would have been a stronger general election candidate than than, than Biden. Um, and, you know, there were certainly reasons to think he would have been a stronger general election candidate than Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, and like, so as far as we can tell, you know, obviously there's no crystal ball you can look into to see that alternate timeline. And there are a thousand things that could have gotten in the way of that. And there are a thousand reasons that it might've gone the other way, right. That he might've lost. And yeah, as you say, that actually would have been an even worse, like that would have been a way worse scenario than any of the ones that we're talking about, because that would have been used for like a generation to discredit uh, left politics. That would have been, you know, because I mean, they're still pulling out McGovern in '72 uh, as as the go-to for that. So it would be so much better for them if they could just point. To, oh, remember 2020? 
when Bernie was nominated and then he lost. Uh, we, you know, we can't have another Bernie. Uh, so yeah, that would have been worse. And it was, it was possible, right? Like there are a bunch of reasons that that could have happened. Uh, but I still think that it is true that as far as you can tell, without knowing all the contingent things that might happen during the election, um, you know, I think if you could just sort of run, you know, the simulation over and over and over and over again, I think Bernie wins more times than Biden does, certainly without a pandemic um, and everything that happened with that economically. And so since what I just said is a mouthful, I'm comfortable with Bernie would have won is a four-word way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I agree with that. I think so. You can't know for certain. What I do, what we do know is that Bernie would have lost some constituencies, some sort of like moderates who are genuinely scared of the, not just the concept of socialism, but, you know, if they're of, you know, if they're of a certain class position, they're genuinely scared by the prospect that their taxes are going to go up and their wealth is going to be re redistributed, right? And those people were sort of, a lot of those people were firmly in Biden's corner. Um, and so we would have lost constituencies like that, but he would have pulled in new constituencies as well. And I also think that he would have pulled from, I think that Bernie would have pulled from Trump, but differently. I mean, Biden was, Biden was sort of like his straw was in Trump's milkshake a little bit, but Bernie Sanders would have had like a different sort of crazy straw uh, in, into, into Trump's milkshake. Right. And I don't know which, which of those draws more, but like I was, I have this article that I'm working on right now about Arizona seniors mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Arizona seniors, you really should um, read some of the reporting that came out in the last couple of weeks, because now we know that Arizona very likely went to Biden and Arizona went to Trump in um, 2016. And it's a, it's a solid, you know, historically, that's a, that's a state that votes for um, Republican uh, presidential candidates. So this is very interesting. And I think that the uh, people are talking so much about all these like young sort of um, professional suburbanites who are moving like to the Phoenix area and how that's the the main thing. I don't think that's necessarily true because a lot of seniors in Arizona, um, which is a COVID hotspot state. I mean, which one, which state isn't a COVID hotspot state? But mm -hmm. still, I mean, there's been a pandemic. The pandemic has hit the state hard. And um, you've seen Trump hemorrhage support. Uh, because of his handling of coronavirus. In, and I think that Bernie Sanders could have just taken advantage of that much more than Joe Biden. Like that dynamic that was already happening without Biden really doing an awful lot, just kind of being like the guy who recognizes that the pandemic is real, managed to like pull people in his direction. But imagine if you had someone like Bernie Sanders who's actually making like coherent, uh, strong arguments about the complete disregard and neglect for seniors that the Trump administration has and that Republicans have in general and that our bipartisan political establishment has in general. I mean, Bernie Sanders has the credentials to back it up. Um, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Bernie Sanders has been there for, for a, a long time. He actually has a really strong track record on, on senior um, economic issues. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm babbling here. What I'm trying to say no, is that no, this is, no, one, this I, is like a, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like but he yeah. could have taken advantage of some of the natural developments that led people from Trump to Biden, I think that Bernie could have intensified some of those, even if other ones would have been. No, that's it. That seems totally right. And, uh, and I think it, I think just more generally, right. Like, well, like um, Bernie, I think 
most people would say on a free association test, right? Bernie, Medicare for all. So I think having a general election that was a referendum on that issue at the same time as we're undergoing an unprecedented health crisis, you know, it's hard not to imagine what would have been. And also I think that, um, you know, a big part of the, the Bernie wins theory was always that he would, he would activate voters uh, who, uh, who, who wouldn't otherwise uh, vote and uh, and there's this weird like media narrative uh, that's that's very popular like even you know people that I even like mainstream reporters that I kind of like you know uh, we're we're really dabbling with this at the end of the primary uh, where they say oh no, no no but see this was disproven because look in in these primaries that didn't happen and of course primaries are structurally very different things than general elections. I mean, you know this better than I I do. I I you know I flew to Las Vegas to spend one day you know uh, talking to cab drivers, get them to go to the caucus. You were like camped out there uh, for for a while, I think. Uh, so, okay. and and in other states, you know that um, like lots of working class people don't even know what day their state votes for their primary and caucus. Uh, you know, like you, you have more than that. A lot of working class people tell me that they're planning to vote for the Democrat. When I when I was in Nevada, I was talking to people about like, what do you, how are you going to vote on Saturday? People say I'm going to vote for the Democrat, which actually I learned in the course of conversations with people was code for I'm not really planning on voting, but I generally have Democratic sympathies. But when it comes time for Saturday, I'm not going to go. You know what I mean? Like people don't know that right. there's a primary happening. I mean, like there's a there's like a lot there's like a lot of. Um, confusion about the the political process and the general election is completely different like you said i mean the theory the theory that we're talking about was actually i mean like there were pockets of of the primary that you could see glimmers of that which is like kind of surprising in a primary which is like a very much like in in group conversation right um and i think it would have carried over into the general i do think that you would have seen um non-voters turning out i don't know if it would have been a landslide i don't know if it made all the difference but definitely oh, sure. yeah. the the other thing that i want to point out yeah. is that people are really uh, right now that uh, there's like a fixation on cuban um cubans in miami and like i think we should ask what kind of discursive work that is doing because I think that it is it is seductive for people who hate Trump and want to see him lose at first to just be like, oh, this constituency like fucked us over here or whatever. But you have to understand that the, the reason why people are uh, like the, the, the reason why the, the usual suspects are obsessed with this story right now and the reason why we should sort of drop it and move on and like actually try to figure out once we actually have numbers and figures about what exactly happened in Florida, we can have a conversation about it, but not let this one get out of hand is because that is implicitly meant to argue that Bernie Sanders would have lost to the entire country. And that in fact, the association of Joe Biden with Bernie Sanders and with the socialist wing of the Democratic Party caused an important constituency to flee. So you're starting to see that. And in fact, by some Biden insiders, um, you know, people's or Democratic Party insiders, I don't know, I saw a headline that just passed, I think it was Politico, but it was right before I got on. Um, you know, you have people inside the Democratic Party saying, blaming the left, the left wing of the Democratic Party, which would be like Bernie Sanders, AOC, and the association with socialism, with losing them um, constituencies that they thought that they were on lock. So we have to be immediately kind of on guard against that narrative, which is meant to um, put us in the hot seat. Yeah, I mean, although it's also, um, you know, I, I mean, it is, it is a very bitter thing. Uh, after after being told it was really important that Bernie Sanders not be nominated because he would win, uh, he would lose Florida uh, because of his entirely correct comments uh, about Cuba. 
uh, to see that that Biden uh, managed to uh, to lose uh, to lose totally. Florida anyway. Uh, I'd also say, as somebody who lived in Miami for six and a half years, that uh, thinking that how things play with a very particular group of um, extremely right wing, like fanatically anti communist people in in, uh, uh, in parts of Miami, which is really what we're talking about there, is a very different thing from how it would have played in America as a whole. Um, right. And I, th- I think that's I think that's worth tracking. Uh, I know you have to go off to something else in, in a minute, but just um, uh, but just real quick, since since you did say you know earlier, you know we we're saying if if we do um, you know get the Biden administration, which which is you know pending Arizona and Nevada and 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 possible uh, legal malarkey, uh, what uh, what will happen? It looks like at this point. Um, and, and you said that we have to be willing, in Matt Carp's phrase, right, to do a lot more outdoor politics in the next four years for uh, that to uh, that to play well for us. Um, and and we can't be sort of focused on the idea that we're going to magically get another, you know, Bernie Sanders uh, to uh, to bail us out in a few years. So I was just wondering in the last couple of minutes that you're here, if, if you want to just sort of give um you know viewers listeners some some sense of of what concretely you know doing outdoor politics for the left under a mm-hmm. biden administration might look like i think we need to build a lot of pressure on and i say pressure on the biden administration and i want to clarify that i think this is a different orientation from like collaboration within the biden administration and like pinky promises that you know like the administration is going to do right by us or whatever we're talking about building popular pressure like build a sort of popular campaign to pressure joe biden um whether or not it will work who knows um politics is is full of many variables to uh to build the build out the NLRB in a way that's actually fair and then take advantage of hopefully the fruits of that campaign to um, to build the labor movement. I mean, I think it's important to have some kind of strategy at the top that can clear some of the obstacles. Look, we're not going to get Bernie Sanders' Workplace Democracy Act tomorrow, unfortunately, but at least we'll get something, maybe, maybe get a reversal of um, you know Trump's sort of um, draconian impositions on this, on this important administration, right? Um, so I think that we should, uh, yeah, try to uh, try to build that kind of pressure campaign, and then I think obviously the work needs to happen on, on the bottom. Like I mean, right now there are a lot of people who are engaging in in sort of internal union politics to try to make the unions better, to try to make them sort of like less slavishly devoted to the Democratic Party establishment, to try to make them um, more capable of uh, new organizing, to make them um, more capable of mobilizing members to actually rebuild um, you know, labor power, not just labor power in the workplace, but also labor as a political force in American society. So that's like a really crucial sort of sphere. That would be the first sphere to answer your question is um, yeah. is focusing on the labor movement. And, and, and you know, maybe my, maybe my tactics that I've floated here are not the right ones. And then we need to have a conversation about what precisely to do. But look, we're not going to get any way of 10% union density in this country and a union bureaucratic leadership on a national level that just sees itself as an appendage of not just the Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party establishment, the, the centrist sort of core of the Democratic Party. Um, that's not going to do. That's not going to work for our purposes. We need to reverse that and we need to put a lot of energy into reversing that. Um, So that's number one. Number two is, um, so 
much larger conversation about uh, uh, how we how we build toward some kind of break with the Democratic Party, probably. I mean, some people believe that we can sort of realign it and drive out all of the capitalist elements and, and find ourselves with a true sort of workers party or left party. Mm. Um, out of the husk of the old Democratic Party, I think that's a little bit sanguine. I'm open to it. Who knows, right? But I think that we need to, obviously, it's so far off. But right now, what we do know that we need to be doing in terms of a kernel of that is building left institutions. Um, our, we have our institutional landscape is uh, pathetic. And it's in large part because we are not um, well-funded. So we have a hard time becoming well-organized. Um, it's also in part because like, if you've read anything by Vivek Chibber, maybe you're familiar with this concept. Mm -hmm. It's just much more difficult for the left to perform the kind of interest um, aggregation that we need to, to get everybody on the same page, which leads to you know, factionalism or people just sort of getting burned out or disinterested. And a lot of atomized little balkanized sort of sections of the left that have a hard time collaborating, even when they're not at each other's throats outright, they have a hard time collaborating because they just have different, you know, interests. Whereas the capitalist class has one interest, which is just right. maximize profits for the capitalists. And then there's sort of like, you know, like haggling over like which industry gets to be dominant in these negotiations or whatever. But like they, they just have a much clearer mandate, whereas we have a harder time. So um, so it's rough on the left. That's a part of the reason why our institutional um, fabric is very threadbare. Uh, but we need to fix that. We need to have competent and coherent and um, to some degree centralized, while at the same time democratic, it's a hard balance, institutions on the left. I think membership organizations are really critical. I think pe giving people the opportunity to sort of practice democracy, develop their political leadership, develop their political skills and their politics in general, do political education, right? These are critical. So for that, for those purposes, I think we need proto party builders, which are people who are focused on doing things like building organizations like DSA, for example. So um, if DSA is not your bag, I disagree with you. I think that it's the most important thing to be focusing on because it's, it has 80,000 members and that's extremely rare. Um, so we need to make the most of that. But in any case, I hope you'll agree with me that building left institutions is really critical. Um, so those two things, if you do those two things, I think you're in pretty good shape, actually. And then, of course, we need to be building our bench. We need to be building our, our electoral bench. And that, that we, we, you know, we're not going to be the high heights of having someone who was on the a hair's breadth away from being the Democratic Party nominee. We need to lower our sights a, a little bit because that was a weird situation that we were in. So, you know, we need to be replicating what they're doing, for example, in like New York City with getting socialists into the state legislature or in Chicago with getting socialists onto the city council. I mean, just building um, socialist blocks of, of elected officials, not just one or two, but I, ideally when they can caucus together, when they can act together, they can write editorials in the paper together and they can submit legislation together. And that's the ideal situation. So, okay, that's three projects. That'll keep us busy okay, for enough. four years. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that that should do. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a member of DSA. I, I think it's I think it's um, I think it's very imperfect. But I also think if we had something else, it would probably be imperfect in most of the same ways. So uh, I, you know, it's sort of you have to go to war with the army you have. Uh, and and I think that's the that's the attitude you should take towards it. Uh, I I do. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I do want you to come back sometime soon to uh, to talk, especially about the uh, the labor piece, because uh, that's been something we've been uh, trying a lot on, on the show to 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 think more about. Because it's 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 very easy to say at a sort of 
uh, view from a thousand feet levels, like, oh yeah, we need to like revitalize the labor movement and expand it and make it more militant. And these are all the things that should happen and, and much, uh, trickier, uh, to, to see, uh, to see what that means in a more granular level. But, um, but in any case, um, Really appreciate it. As always, thank you so much, Megan. Yeah, thank you. Let's hope that, I mean, I haven't looked at the news at all while we've been talking. I really hope that we don't log <laughs> off and find out that like Trump won or something. So um, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think that nothing, I'm actually looking at the New York Times uh, website right now. Uh, you know, they've finally called Michigan uh, for Biden, uh, which which CNN did before we started talking. Uh, and um, Arizona and Nevada are exactly where they were. So, uh, so I, I don't think anything's anything's changed. Uh, probably won't know yeah. tomorrow, but uh, for sure. But um, but I think it's looking good. So, all thanks, right, cool. Megan. Have a good one, Ben. Bye.